The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. The first of the mini-series that we are going to start tonight is one that I'm calling Desire. Longings and Theological Connection in Popular Song. So for the next four weeks, we are going to listen to some music from some bands and some artists that most of you have heard of and perhaps many of you will even know some of the words to and are big fans of. Now, why would we do this? Why would we, we start at looking at popular song on a series that we're doing about, about Jesus and about a, a biblical faith? And the reason is simply this, that that in, in a lot of ways, the songs that we sing, the, these, these songs that we know the words to, that are on the playlist in our iPods, perhaps they're the ones that define our spring break, are really kind of our contemporary psalms. Okay, now we keep in mind that psalms are not, are not words from God, they're words to God. And while not all of these songs that we sing can be counted as, as prayers in the same way that these psalms uh, in the Old Testament are. There are plenty uh, of music that is out there that, are, that is on our iPods, mine included, that are little more than, than shock value or comedy that are borderline, borderline offensive. You know, examples of that might be R. Kelly or Nelly or something like that. <laughs> Okay, so not all of these, these songs that, that we sing and that we know the words to can be interpreted this way. Um, but like the Psalms in the Old Testament, so many of the songs that we listen to on the radio, that we listen to on our iPods as we're walking to class, communicate this deep longing of our souls, the things that we wrestle with, disappointments, difficulties, and the inconsistencies of life. It's not unlike the experience that perhaps you have where, where you're, you know, maybe you've, you've studied up and read for a class and it comes time to the, for the discussion in class and you're trying to make a point and you're, you're talking and you're talking and you're talking, you're not getting any, anywhere and then somebody comes in and says, well, what about this? And you're like, ah, exactly what she said. That's exactly what I'm doing. That was a routine experience for me in college. It continues to be a routine experience for me here at UMIN where I'll take four or five minutes trying to explain something that Janie Stewart swoops in and explains in about four or five seconds where it leaves me going, you're right, I'm wrong, you're smart, I'm stupid, you're good looking, I'm not attractive. (laughs) But you see, there is something about these songs that we sing and, these, and, and about these musicians that have originated them that have thought through their experience and their observation and can articulate that thing that maybe we haven't been able to come up with the words for. What comes out in popular music, I think, and my hope, is something that can bring us together in maybe identifying some of those common longings that we have. And to take some of these, these longings and desires that we sing about, that maybe we don't even think about, but then see how does our faith connect to these songs that we know the words to. That's what we're going to take a little bit of time to look at this quarter.
We're going to look at the music next week of indie rocker Sufjan Stevens. The following week, we're going to look at, uh, at Coldplay. Um, our worship leader, Tom Noble, is going to lead us in that. Next week, by the way, Professor uh, Dr. Jeff Cuse over at Seattle Pacific is going to come share with us. And he's, he's an incredible uh, teacher. You're not going to want to miss that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Tom the following week, and then Janie is going to round out the series uh, and, and taking a look at Natasha Bedingfield. So you're not going to want to miss that either. Okay, but tonight I'm going to lead us off with you two. And in, in leading us off and throughout the series, again, my hope is that we might see that our faith matters more in speaking into these common desires than maybe we gave it credit for. To see that, that we might um, pay attention to how Jesus connects with these desires uh, that, that, we, that we have to these songs that we sing on a road trip or on our way to class. Additionally, I hope that as a community, we might train ourselves to listen to these songs that, uh, that, we, uh, that we do and seek to understand where our faith connects. In short, to listen to music on the radio with the lenses or perhaps the earbuds of faith. Let me pray for us as we get started tonight. Lord, we, uh, we desire to see um, how you connect with, with our common longings and desires. And so, Lord, as, as we take a look at the truth embedded in art, embedded in music, Lord, may that truth point us uh, to the truth that is you. So, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O oh, Lord, our rock and redeemer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, as we get started, I want to, um, to kind of step it back and, and, and be a bit serious and share with you a struggle uh, that is very real for me, that I'm guessing is common uh, for a lot of people. Uh, I often, um, despite the... the the very confident exterior that many of you are familiar uh, interacting with every week. Um, I wrestle often with feeling very small and insignificant. I wrestle with um, wondering if my life matters and if I can make any difference at all in this world of mystery and chaos that we live in. Uh, so often in my own experience, as I, as I sit um, and think um, about myself, I am so much more aware of everything about myself that I dislike, and I'm far more aware of my sin than um, anything that, that might um, be considered good by myself or by anyone else. All Often all I can see are the things about myself that I hate. It plays out in my head and in my journal that I would rather be anyone other than me. It's a common experience for me that I battle with. And then I go and read the Sunday newspaper and become convinced that the world is going to hell. 
And then I go to the Dominican Republic and interact daily with extreme poverty and wonder if there's any way that myself or anybody else can, can wipe out this, this hunger and this poverty and injustice that we see all over the place. In short, I'm led into a place that is dark and desperate and often hopeless. That's the way it comes out for me. Others may have a similar experience where, where instead of, of beating themselves up, they compensate with this sense of, of overconfidence and saying, look at how significant I am by updating Twitter every 50 seconds. Look at me. Look at me. My life is significant. And we're able to laugh at it, but there's, but there's something in us that desires to be noticed, to feel like we matter and like there's a purpose or a meaning to it. Maybe we've put our finger on it and maybe we haven't. Certainly when you're beating yourself up day in and day out, it's hard to avoid. Behind this confession of wanting to, fee- wanting to be significant, there is a great desire. Friends, the great desire is to wake up and know contentedness. To know beloved, to know that I'm loved, and to know that I don't have to prove that to anyone. It's just true. To know that my life has purpose and meaning and not wonder about it. To not be, to not being a slave to do I matter? I want to hear God. I want to have God be real. Now, thankfully, one of the ways that I do hear God and that God has been real to me is through the lyrics and music of YouTube. Now, honestly, there have been times, and I've said this to some people, that, that I'm convinced that, that Bono has been the voice of God to me more than once. And has pulled me out of myself into the bigger picture. So all that to say, I am an obsessed U2 fan. I've seen them in concert about a half a dozen times. And even as I was studying and preparing for this talk, I was semi-tempted to buy the VIP passes for their, their upcoming tour up in Vancouver. And, uh, and for, there was this moment where I'm like, you know, 500 bucks isn't that much. You know? <laughs> I mean, Julie probably doesn't want to go, so I could go chill solo, and, and you know, you'd get interactions with the band. But then I started considering, you know, how awkward would that be? Because I'd be, I'd be like, hey, uh, Bono, remember that time in Sydney, Australia, when you were like, oh, 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 and then the whole crowd started doing it. That was awesome. <laughs> My first memory of you two was when I was 12 years old. And this tape called the Joshua Tree uh, came out. Did any of you ever buy tapes? Anybody ever? Okay. For those of you that don't even know what tapes are, let me tell you what they are. Okay. It's essentially a plastic casing with a ribbon wrapped around two spools that you put into a thing. And music came out of it. They were pretty cool. Okay. So I grew up with tapes. I didn't get my first uh, CD player until I was a a freshman in, in high school. And for those of you wondering, my first two CDs were MC Hammer and Millie Vanilli. I was a little bit behind the times in, uh, out there in Port Angeles. So 
All that to say, I didn't have a lot of tapes and I didn't have the coolest music, but somehow I stumbled across uh, the Joshua Tree. And there are the first three tracks on the Joshua Tree. On U2's The Joshua Tree are tracks that I'm confident a lot of you know, uh, songs called Where the Streets Have No Name. Uh, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, which I had a friend of mine whose mom thought that the words to that were, I still haven't found my blue dinosaur. Um, <laughs> And then, and then the third of that suite is With or Without You. The balance of that tape is, is awesome. Now, it's a good thing that I stumbled on to, to U2 um, in 1987 because by the time that 1990 and 91 hit, that was the emergence of like Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Nirvana, uh, all of the, the big Seattle bands uh, here that, that I love their music, but they almost caused me to drop out of school. You know, the music was awesome. It got you motivated, but uh, it was a, the, the lyrics were a bit, uh, well, they were definitely uh, cynical. And every year I relive those glory days of listening to Pearl Jam South Garden at all at the winter retreat by doing a little crowd surfing. Uh, check out Facebook if you want the proof for that. Now, that isn't to say that relative to Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and all that, that U2 is a bunch of fluff. I mean, we could have done this series where we look at the theology of even the songs that we sing here at the inn or, or the things that we hear on 105.3. But the problem is, is that if you have a preset on 105.3 in your car or whatever, you had best have a toothbrush in your car because the music is so sweet, it's going to give you a cavity. Okay, it's, it's one of the things that, that I often have a hard time with in, in listening to, to Christian music is that there, there hasn't, there isn't the, the wrestling that, that in my job here and in interacting with you all find to be that that is the place where you're at. More than you are aware of, of the, the sweetness of God, there is a genuine wrestling that's happening. And one of the reasons that though three of the four members of the band U2 would call themselves uh, Christian, uh, they have wrestled through this, uh, through their faith, in a way that most Christian music that we would label has not. Over the last 30 years, they have had a very dynamic journey of faith. And this latest download is one that my friend Jeff Cuse, who you'll get to hear next week, reflects on a, a... Did you notice how I used the word download right there? I didn't use tape or CD. Like, download. That's what you guys do, right? <laughs> Downloads? Come on. I'm hip. I'm with it. <laughs> so anyway, Cuse reflects on this latest download called No Line on the Horizon. And says that this is a movement towards a message of liberty, freedom, um, that is found in faith in God, in faith in God, rather than in certainty about God. In this, this latest group of songs that U2 has released, it moves us towards finding freedom and liberty in faith, not certainty about God. It gives integrity to the tension that many of us feel as we seek to live out the faith. Mother Teresa, this is a great story. Upon having somebody ask her um, to pray for clarity for them, responded by saying, I'm not going to pray that for you. I'm not going to pray for clarity for you because you have not been called to clarity. You've been called to faith. 
So with you two, we have a group of three Irish dudes that have shared their struggles in living out the faith through their music over the past 30 years. But in addition to this wrestling, there is a very strong tilt towards social justice. Perhaps many of you are aware of the activist role that U2 has played over the years, primarily through the voice of frontman Bono. U2 has consistently raised uh, awareness around issues of world poverty and injustice through music performances and speeches. And at the last two U2 shows that I have been to, there's been an explicit call to action from the band to the audience. In fact, this... Uh, this last tour, uh, in about two minutes, Bono solicited about 6,000 memberships to the one campaign to make poverty history. About two minutes, 6,000 new members. Social justice is at the heart of what Bono and the boys are singing about. So, the fact that this group has wrestled with the faith for decades and has a passion for reaching out and erasing injustice are two important marks that, of you 2 that I think will help us listen theologically to this latest single from the album No Line on the Horizon, released earlier than this month. This is a track called Get On Your Boots. Let's do a theological listening of this song and listen for the desires and longings that are embedded in the lyrics and to listen what the band is wrestling with as they move towards faith, not certainty. Take a look. This is Get On Your Boots from No Line on the Horizon. This is a song about faith, beauty, and action in a world of sin and chaos. I want to focus on the refrains that I think help us understand that. Faith and beauty are heard in that line. You don't know how beautiful you are. You don't know how beautiful you are, do you? The faith that that is expressed there is expressed really in terms of lack of faith. You don't get it. While beauty is certainly a little bit more explicit. But there is an acknowledgement within these lyrics in the video that sin is likely the reason that keeps us from being able to see ourselves and the world accurately. The song makes mention of Satan trying to scare you, ghosts that aren't real, war between nations. The lyrics of this song, as well as scores of others in the YouTube playlist, acknowledge that sin is a reality that confuses us and blinds us and keeps us from truth in union with God. That is, it's not only our personal sin, but living in an imperfect world that, as the song says, seeks to drown us. But even in the midst of the doubt or lack of faith, there's this urging to get up and walk into this confusion that we might be agents of love, of beauty, in that confusion. So where does a biblical faith, where does Jesus connect to this song and this crazy video? At risk of failing a speech communication class, I've only got two reflections, not three. First, it places an emphasis on us knowing that we are created in the image of God. In that refrain, you don't know how beautiful you are. You don't get it, do you? I think that there is a call to faith that we are gods. We are children created in his image. This is one of the foundational aspects of the Christian faith, that we are a part, a key part of his beloved creation. 
The story goes a little something like this from the book of, of, of Genesis. And, and even as we, as we come into looking at Genesis, what I want to draw attention to is that as we read the creation epic in Genesis 1, more than we learn about us or our world, what we learn about is God. In Genesis 1, more than we learn about the importance of our own origins or the origins of the world, what we learn about is we learn about God. So, you see, what happens in in Genesis is we're told that God created day and night, land and sea, plants and stars, skies and moon, all this thing in in five days before we get we get to the sixth, and he creates uh, he creates some livestock, some animals, each according to their own kind, and in each day, including this one, he says, "Ah, this is good. It's good." And then he gets to this Genesis one. I'm going to pick it up at verse 26. It says this, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he made and then he said something that he hasn't said before. And it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. You see, we are created humanity. Man and woman, God created them in his own image, in God's image. And it is very good. Friends, we are created in the image of God. The beautiful image of God. But so often sin gets in the way of this. We either think of ourselves as crap or we think of ourselves as the, as the ish because we have somehow earned it. We're entitled to it. Somehow we think that with more effort or self-validation we can make ourselves good. No, it's the image of God, this thing we call the Imago Dei, friends, that makes us good. I think David was wrestling with this in Psalm 139, when he's dealing with the reality that God knows all of him, including his sin and his shortcomings, yet he struggles to return to the confession of, I praise you, God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The beginning of that Psalm, David is going, where can I hide from you? Where can I flee from you? But he returns to this praise knowing that he's fearfully and wonderfully made. 
This is one of these things that it's easy to stand up here and talk about. But most of the time, I know for me, there's a voice and there's stuff going on in my life that is much louder that compels me to want to be anything other than Ryan Church. You don't get it, do you? You're beautiful. You don't know how beautiful you are. This, the lyrics of this song, once again from you two, somehow work as a bit of a rebuke to me. To get outside myself. To see past sin. To maybe even see past achievements. To see the truth. Even in this video, we see the members of the band are set against some of these, these images of these cosmic images where we see planets and galaxies and stars. But in the foreground is the band. Then we see other things. We see explosions and, and warplanes and ships. But the But people are still in the foreground. Here is the important part that I want us to take away from hearing Genesis 1. In the same way that those people were in the foreground of this video from you too. Those of us that are created, male and female, in the image of God, are we in the foreground, on the front of God's mind? I think our text says yes. We're created beautiful in the image of God. One day, several years ago, I was driving up to Stevens Pass to go skiing. And I had been dating this girl for about a year before she had uh, broken up with me, explicitly telling me that it was because of of curiosity with uh, other dudes that uh, she needed to break up with me. And you think I have self-confidence issues now (laughs) when somebody says, hey, I'm I'm interested in other dudes. Guess what that does for you? It was pretty brutal. Uh, But thankfully... As I'm driving up to Stevens, it was uh, a gorgeous sunny day after there had been some new snow. And you're looking up there at Mount Index. And, and as, as I'm looking, it, it dawned on me that, wow, this is, this is God's creation. What an incredible, incredible masterpiece this is. And the, in this fleeting moment, I, I was able to, to somehow grasp that as beautiful as it was looking at, up at, at Index and, and to see Wallace Falls and, and the new fallen snow, that God was, is actually more passionate and concern, concerned more with me than this amazing landscape. Do you know that? Think about a time where you were stopped in your tracks because something was so beautiful. Perhaps it led you to tears. Or maybe maybe you're not wired that way and you see something that you just are able to identify as intellectually special or magnificent. Now take that and know that, that God cares that much about you and more. You are on the front of his mind. This is what it means to, to embrace and by faith, Believe that we are created in God's image and that that beauty is inside of us. Friends, let's realize how beautiful we are. Let's try and get it. Second reflection is this. Because we are beautiful, we are pointed outside of ourselves and set free to ascribe the same value and beauty to a world that needs to know it. The simple refrain, get on your boots, those sexy boots. 
For me, there is not just a sense of talking about this that we see in this video and hear in the lyrics, but actually doing it. Dare I say, alongside Bono and the gang, that the only way for us to embrace the reality of the beauty of God in us is if we get on our boots and get outside of ourselves. The message says it like this in the Sermon on the Mount. This is from uh, Matthew chapter 5 from the message. It says, you're familiar with the old law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm going to challenge that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. God gives his best. The sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless. The good and bad, the nice and nasty. If all you do is love the lovable... Do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up! Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Get on your boots. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others. The way God lives toward you. We are not going to know the depth of our belovedness, of the beauty of God that is in us by sitting around and telling everybody how great we are via Facebook or Twitter. We are only going to realize it when we get out and love radically like we are radically loved. I think that that, this, that the lyrics in this song and the text that we've read urge us to get on our boots and love radically in a way that will change the world. This is a love that is not rooted in certainty in ourselves, but rather in a faith in, in a God that created us and loves us deeply and radically and desires the whole world to know that love. Bono believes that by getting on our boots, we can change the world. The 2006 prayer breakfast, he said, speaking of Christians who were slow to respond to the AIDS pandemic, he said this, this this same thought, grace, is now incarnate in a movement of all kinds of people. It wasn't a bless me club. It wasn't a holy huddle. These religious guys were willing to get out in the streets to get their boots dirty, to wave placards, to follow their convictions with actions, making it really hard for people like me to keep our distance from Christians. Ruining my shtick, Bono loved to rail on Christians. I almost started to like these church people. The church was slow, but the church got busy on the leprosy of our age, that being the AIDS pandemic. Love was on the move. Mercy was on the move. God was on the move. This is what happens when God gets on the move. Crazy, crazy stuff happens. Friends, let's be people that are church people, that are liked because we put on our boots and set out to love others 
Because we have faith, maybe not even certainty, in a God that loves us in spite of our shortcomings. Because the image of God in us lets us demonstrate the image of a gracious, merciful, and loving God. A God that when we do this, allows us to see crazy stuff happen. Friends, when we do this, this desire that I have to wake up and know purpose and meaning and significance becomes so much more real. I don't need to look for it. It just happens. I realize that when I realize that the love of God is for me, and when I get on those boots and love others with that same love of God, let's join together as a community eager to do just that. Let's pray. Lord, for all the ways that we fail to uh, step up and put on our boots, Lord, we ask for forgiveness. Lord, if we have failed to recognize your beauty and your spirit in us, forgive us. Lord, if we have uh, taken the credit uh, for what you have done in our lives and sought to give ourselves the glory instead of giving you the glory, Lord, again, forgive us. Lord, would you meet us in the places where we desire and we long? Lord, hear our prayer that, that our desire is to know you and to be one with you. And Lord, uh, we invite you to use even us as we seek to get on our boots and go love a world in need. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.